0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. waiting is hard isn't it right it's it's that it's in those moments as you're waiting for the time to pass to keep going where, where you can you can feel the time right you can feel you it's it's often in those where you can hear the silence right it's in that waiting that is it's difficult you know what the worst waiting experience is it's, it's that 30 seconds when you're binge watching a TV show and that commercial comes up again after you've seen it 12 times and you, and you can't help but, like, why the same commercial over and over again? Or it's, or it's when Netflix asks you, do you want to continue watching? Of, of course you want to continue watching. I don't need a 10-second countdown to decide. Just, just let me start the next show. Not that long ago, my kids were watching um, a, a, a cartoon on Netflix, and it was it was actually old enough to have been on old school TV. You know what I'm talking about? Like not like old old school, not like when you had the turn dial thing. Like old old school when when you when you watched shows on a certain day and a certain time. Do you remember this? Like there used to be a day when you actually had to wait for a particular day of the week for your show to come on. And so my kids were watching one of these cartoons. And so um, there was this phrase that kept coming up that they couldn't quite understand. And so they asked me, they said, what are these messages? Because it I kept saying, we'll be back right after these messages. And then there were no messages. It just kept going. And so they they were they were confused like, like what kind of world was that, and then like if you like if you really want to blow like a little kid's mind, like t- try to help them understand there used to be a world where Netflix and YouTube didn't exist, where you couldn't just keep watching like you you could only watch your show on a certain day and you had to watch whatever just happened to be on the TV and, and like my kids could not fathom this like wait so so, so you, We had to, you had to wait. You had to wait for these two or three minutes to be over for the show to continue. You had to wait till the next day or the next week to watch the next episode. Like what, like how could you live like that? And, and I think we've gotten, we've gotten used to it. Like some of these are welcome changes when it comes to the TV shows we watch. Or like when you buy gifts, you can just buy, you can go on the computer and buy something and it just shows up at your house. You didn't have to go inside. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to deal with the craziness of the mall or any of those things. You just buy the gift, it shows up. Or you buy the book and immediately you can read the book, you can listen to the book. Whatever, you, you have the book as soon as you buy it. Or, or, or you, um, like, you, you know what we don't have to do anymore? You don't ever have to have that moment where you, you ask somebody, like, who is that actor? You never have to have somebody on the tip of your tongue anymore. Because you can just ask Google or Siri or Alexa or, or one of the many digital people who can give us all the answers. Right? You have more information in your pocket than entire libraries have. or right? We don't have to wait for that information anymore. Like even like grocery shopping, you don't actually have to go to the grocery store anymore. I don't know if you knew this, but you can actually get groceries delivered to your house. And so you actually, your, your kids might not ever have to experience what it's like to be in a grocery store shopping and, and looking at the prices and the, and the price per ounce or any of those things. Because just, it just shows up. Right? Even, like, and you know what? where I love it the most where the waiting? Like I don't have to deal with the unbearable three minutes at the gas pump. Anymore because I can I can pump the gas and I have entertainment. So while I'm waiting, I just take out my phone and I can make it through those three minutes. Right I I know I'm not the only one who does that, right? And so see, waiting is incredibly difficult. And the season of Advent is a season of waiting. The church has historically used this season as a season that reminds us of what it's like to wait and what we wait for. That we wait. Hoping and longing for things to be different. We wait, believing that things will be better. And we wait and prepare for the birth of Jesus, knowing that while people waited for hundreds of years, Christ came. And we continue to wait, knowing that Christ promises that he will return, that he will make all things new. So the Apostle Paul writes a letter to one of his churches. It's the book of Galatians. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,813. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to a group of people who know what it's like to wait. And they know what it's like to wait because they've been there and their family's been there and their grandparents and their grandparents' parents and the generations before them, they knew what it's like to wait and they were waiting and longing and praying for the day when God would finally do something. And so they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And so Paul writes this letter and reminds people about what God came to do and what God has done. See, the challenge, though, is in the waiting, it's difficult for us. Because it's in the waiting that we are often reminded, waiting reminds us of what we're not. Right. It's in that moment that we're reminded that we're not in control, that we're not in power, that we can't change the situation. And so waiting forces us to deal with that. To pay attention to that, to notice that, to recognize it. And waiting reminds us of what we're longing for. Waiting reminds us that the the way things should be aren't the way things we aren't the way we want things to be. That the way things are presently is not what we're hoping the, that things will turn out like. And so in the waiting you're forced to either either recognize that or you distract yourself. You find some other way to make it, to not think about it, to not deal with it. And so the Apostle Paul writes these words to his group of people who are waiting. Who are waiting and waiting and waiting. And this this happened all throughout the generations before them of people who waited. People waited for God to rescue them from Egypt. The people waited for God to bring them to the promised land. The people waited for God to make good on his promises through the prophets. The people waited and waited and waited. And so Paul writes to these group of people who are very familiar with the theme of waiting. He says, All right, now I want to tell you about what Christ has done for those who wait. Let's, let's listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. Paul writes, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. See, if you experience any sense of waiting, any sense of longing, any reminder of what you're not or the way you want things to be, you are in a long line of people who are very familiar with waiting on God. You're in a long line of people who prayed and longed and said, God, please do something. God, please answer my prayer. Or if you ever flip through pages of the psalm, like so many of the psalms are actually filled with people praying out to God and saying, God, where are you? God, why haven't you done anything? God, why haven't you shown up? Why? Because they're familiar with waiting. They're familiar with it feeling like God's not answering the prayer. And so Paul writes to these people who are familiar with it saying, now the time had come that God finally was going to do what you've been waiting for him to do. And so he, he writes this to remind them that God is intentional about the timing and the mission of Jesus. Because when it says the time had fully come, it meant, that also means that God had planned for this time, that God had been preparing people for the time, that this is part of what God wanted. It was this moment, in this place, in this time in history, that God would do what he promised he would do. And so God is intentional about when he shows up. No, when Jesus shows up, there had actually been 400 years of silence. See, when we flip through the Bibles, that towards the end of the Old Testament, towards the end of the Hebrew Scriptures, there are what we call the prophets. And these prophets are just God's messengers, God gave them a message to speak to the people. And so these different people would have slightly varied messages depending on who they were speaking to and, and the kind of message God gave them. But they would come and speak to people and give them a message of hope or point to the promise of what, what God was going to do one day. They would call people to repentance saying, all right, here, here's what you, where, what you need to change. Here's where you've gone off course. And so in these messages of the, of the prophets, they would be given a message from God and be reminded of what God wants to do. But after Malachi, like, we flip a couple pages and then begin this long, boring list of genealogies. But, but in those couple pages, like, we can flip through really quickly. But it actually was 400 years between when the last prophet Malachi spoke and when Jesus comes. Where if you think 30 seconds is a long time, imagine 400 years where God's not sending prophets like he once did. Where you can go back and you can read those words, but there's no new word. And so they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. They're waiting for some hope, waiting for God to show up. Like, I can't help but wonder, like, were there people in those 400 years who started to feel like God was absent? Like, God, maybe, the, maybe start, people who started to doubt, like, is God really who we thought he was? Did people in those 400 years start to distract themselves with other things, with other gods? With other religions? Did did people start to distract themselves by twisting their own religion and make it more about obedience and their commitment to God than God's faithfulness to them? And so people waited 400 years as a very long time to wait. Yet it's in that waiting that we're reminded of the same truth that we spent the last several weeks talking about. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the series Greater, I encourage you to go online. It's an amazing series that Joe shared with us. And one of the truths that he reminded us of in that is God's silence does not mean God's absence. But in 400 years of silence, it starts to feel like that. 400 years of looking around at your world and feeling like things are broken, of things aren't working. 400 years of of your people not having what God promised he would give to those people. After that time, it starts to get a bit difficult. But Paul says, but now is the time. And so he writes to these people about the birth of Jesus. Jesus. Which which makes me ask the question, what was the world like, though, at the time of Jesus? Like, if that was the time that God planned, like, if that was what God was preparing, it was that moment, that time in history, that was what was the, the whole plan for Jesus to come. What was the world like in that day? See, if the time had come, what was that time like? See, the people who are waiting for Jesus, who are waiting for 400 years for Jesus in the day of Jesus' birth, they're waiting in a world where Caesar, both Caesar Augustus and his successors, where they were waiting where Caesar and his successors claimed to be the Savior who brought peace to the world. So imagine that feeling when you're waiting for 400 years for somebody to do something, for somebody to save you, for somebody to bring peace, and your people don't experience much of peace, and there's a Caesar who claims to bring peace to the entire world, to be the Savior of the world, and it's in that world where a baby is born. And people start to talk about this baby as savior, as the prince of peace, where you, be, you begin to think differently about what you're hearing and, and, and get this like the way Caesar actually claimed to be savior, he claimed to bring, priest, bring peace to the entire world, but the way he did it was through violence, was through oppression, was through military power, and he did it on the backs of the Israelites. And so God's people were being hurt. They were being destroyed. They were being broken. And so they're longing and waiting for God to do something. And they hear about peace, but their life doesn't feel very much like peace. They're, wait, they're trying to have hope, but things don't feel very hopeful. In fact, even it's in this world, the birthday of Augustus was celebrated as good news for the entire world. What does that not sound a bit familiar? And so the birth of Augustus was celebrated by people as good news for the whole world. But if you're an Israelite, it's not very good for your world. Because his good news, it doesn't really feel very much like good news. It's actually in that world where King Herod would rule with tyranny and oppression. He would destroy anybody who he thought was a threat to his kingdom. Which is why, why when we read the Christmas story, we hear that Herod wants Jesus dead. Because that's what Herod would do to anybody who threatened his kingdom, whether they were a baby or a family member. He would destroy anybody. He would have building projects which were dedicated to the worship of Caesar. Even when when Herod would do his work on the temple to to kind of lavishly build on the temple. There was a gate on the temple that that, uh, over one of these gates, Herod had the nerve to put an eagle on the gate. And the reason he would do this was as an act of worship to Caesar so that when people would go under the gate, they would be forced to be reminded of Rome, of Rome's authority, of Rome's power. So imagine being an Israelite, trying to go to worship, be reminded of your love for God and God's gift for you. And every time you're reminded of Rome's rule and Rome's power. Right? That's the world at the time of Jesus. This is what Paul is referring to when the time had fully come. This is what Luke would refer to when he says it was in the days of Caesar Augustus. It's a bloody time. It's a time longing for peace. It's a world that's longing for hope. A world that feels like God is absent. A world that is just waiting for God to speak up. Like, I don't know if you can imagine that kind of world. Could, I mean, I'm, I'm, think about it. Like, could you imagine a world filled with social, religious, and political conflict? Like, could you imagine that kind of world? Like, like I, I mean, think about it. Like, think about the way they thought about the good news. Could you imagine a world when they heard good news or a better translated gospel or even better, like, referring to those people as the evangelicals? Like, could you imagine a world when people heard evangelical, they didn't think of good news? Like, imagine, imagine what that would be like. But that was the world, though, at the time of Jesus. Where people were waiting, were waiting for good news, were longing for hope and peace and joy, and they weren't finding it. They weren't finding it from the people who claimed to have it. They weren't getting it because they're waiting on God. But it was in that birth of Jesus, and what Paul refers to as when the time had fully come, that people were reminded that God may take his time, but he always keeps his word. And so 400 years might be longer than how long they wanted it to be, and the world might be different than the way they hoped the world would be, but God had a plan. And God may take his time, but he kept his word, he kept his promise, he made good on it. And when Jesus arrives, nothing will stop him. And so when Paul says that God sent his son, what he's referring to is that this son, Jesus, who was born in a manger, he had a mission. Jesus is sent. He is sent by the Father for a purpose, for a reason, that the manger was not just an accident, but it was actually God's plan. And so the time came for the plan to get put into action. And so Jesus is sent. He is born to die, to go to fight against sin and death and the devil, to bring hope to people. And it didn't exactly come how people expected it. They didn't exactly expect it to look like the manger. They didn't expect Jesus to fight the way he fought. They didn't expect him to win the way he won. But when Jesus comes with this mission, nothing can stop what he's come to do. Because this baby is more than just A baby with an obscure birth story. This baby is God. John would describe him as he is God made flesh. And because he's God, he can uniquely do what no one else can do. And so Paul describes what he came to do when he says he came to redeem those under the law. Under the law means all of us meaning it means humanity, people who are under the the law, the rule, people who are under the weight of sin. And so Jesus came to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus is sent for redemption and adoption. And so when this baby comes in a manger, it is for that purpose, to redeem the world, to rescue the world. To make us sons and daughters. In a world where ki- that keeps hearing that this is peace for the world, this baby actually comes for the world. For all people. And when he comes, his kingdom is a threat to the other kingdoms. Because if you come as, as a king and you come to bring about a new kingdom, those who are currently in power start to feel a little threatened. Which is why Herod wants Jesus dead. Which is of course he wants Jesus dead. He killed anyone who threatened his kingdom. But but here's the thing he, he doesn't succeed. He can't succeed because the mission of Jesus can't be stopped. No amount of death, no destruction, no amount of time can stop Jesus because Jesus is God. And because heaven is here. Which is incredibly good news while you wait. Because while you wait, it's hard. It's hard to believe that things can get better. It's hard to believe that things can change. It's hard to believe that you can be rescued. But Jesus' rescue of you doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your strength. It doesn't depend on your power. It doesn't change on your ability to change the situation. It doesn't even depend on your ability to to wait through the time it takes for God to do what he's going to do. Jesus' rescue of you doesn't depend on you. And so in Jesus' day, people are waiting. They're waiting in a world that's crushed them. They're crushed by the rulers of the world. They're crushed by what religion has become in the world. They're crushed by their own sin, waiting for God to do what he says he will do. And so maybe you've been there. Maybe our world has crushed you. Because you know somebody who got sick, and you know that nobody should have to experience that pain, that hurt. Maybe our world has crushed you because you watch somebody go through a divorce or a loss. And you know that people shouldn't experience that kind of pain and sadness and loneliness. Maybe our world has crushed you because you look around at the kind of world we live in, and you see so many symptoms of brokenness. And so you see racial injustice, and you see hate for neighbors. You see kids who are born and not born, who who aren't wanted, who can't be adopted into a home. And you look at all those things and you can't help but ask, like, God, why is this world still the way it is? Why aren't things better yet? God, why haven't you changed this? Why haven't you done something? That's how the Israelites felt, waiting for Jesus. God, why have you not done something yet? Or maybe it's your own sin that has crushed you because as much as you can look at other people, you can also look in here. To so know, you know, you know your pride and your arrogance. You know the lust and the greed. And so when you look inside, you, you, you see this weight, this crushing weight that, man, I'm trying to wait on God, but I'm not very good at waiting. I'm not very good at trusting. And so maybe that's crushed you. At the time of Jesus' birth, people are waiting for God To rescue them from their sin. Or maybe it's religion. Because because during the waiting, the religion of the day got twisted. And so the faith of the Jews, for for many of them, it got twisted into something that was more about what we do for God than what God does for us. And so maybe some of you have actually tried to turn to God when you're crushed. Maybe you've tried to turn to religion or church. And maybe, maybe whatever you experienced was actually more crushing. It just piled on the burdens instead of freeing you from them. The world that Jesus is born into is that same kind of world where people were crushed, and it, in, it's in that world that Jesus arrives and he does what no one else can do. His birth is enough, and his life is enough. His blood is enough. His sacrifice, enough. His love is enough. His forgiveness is enough. His peace is enough. In a world that prizes itself on fixing things ourselves and being enough for ourselves, Jesus does what nothing else can do. He rescues us. That's redemption. It's a rescue that comes not from within, not by our own effort, but by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And all of that redemption begins in a manger. A manger that was promised long before that moment. And a manger that would lead to miracles. And those miracles would lead to a message, and that message would lead to a movement. A movement that would end up getting Jesus killed. But when he was killed, that that mission couldn't be stopped because that death leads to a resurrection. And it's by that death and it's by that resurrection that you are set free. Because redemption sets you free. And so Jesus came for that mission to set us free, but it's not just setting us free. Because redemption sets you free, but it's adoption that makes you family. And those work hand in hand with one another. And here's why I think this is important in the waiting. Because it's not just the redemption that we need in the waiting. We need the adoption. We need the hope that comes in that promise. See, oftentimes my kids will wake up in the night. Now, I'm often not really good at the whole nighttime thing, because when I'm tired and, I'm, and it's bedtime, like, I, I'm ready for it to be bedtime. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is really good, like, when the kids wake up and are, and are and is scared, and so she always, she'll bring them into the bed, let them cuddle, and she'll hold them, and, and like, and even my son the other day told me, mommy's better at night. And so, and so but but here's, here's what's happened, and so, on occasion, I'll get it right, like, I don't want I think I'm, like, terrible, but I'm sometimes okay, but... Um, but here's what will happen at night, and, and you probably experience this with kids, too. That Sometimes they're, they're scared. They have a bad dream, or they're thinking about some, a, a thought they can't get out of their head, or they're scared of the dark, any of those things. right? And they cry out in the night. And what fixes the problem? When mommy holds them. Because suddenly everything gets better in that moment. When mommy or daddy holds them, it's like, it's like everything suddenly gets a little bit better. What was scary is not so scary. Now, the situation doesn't really change, though, does it? It's not like suddenly the dark isn't scary anymore. Like, it's still the dark's still a little bit scary. It's, it's not like suddenly the T-Rex they thought they saw outside the window that was really a tree. It's not like suddenly that, that tree's not still there. No, it's still, it's still scary. It's not like suddenly they didn't have the bad dream anymore. No, it still happened. But when mommy or daddy holds you, you feel a little bit better. See, in the waiting, the promise of God is that we are adopted into a family and God, our Heavenly Father, holds us in the night. When the night is holding on to you, your Father hears the cry. And no matter how faint the cry, no matter how far you've run from God, when God hears that cry, he comes booking it down the hallway to hold you. And, now when, and when we hold our kids, it's not like, like we know something different than our kids know. And it was still scary, and it was still bad, and it was still hard. But we know you turn on the lights, and that thing that was scary is just a pile of clothes. We know that just a little bit of sleep makes it, will make their mind get, go, be at ease. They just need to get a little bit of rest. Because we as parents, we have a different perspective. Because we can look at the situation, and, it, and it's different in our eyes. See, when God holds on to us, he has a different perspective than we do. He sees things a little bit different than we do. Now, now Now, I'm not suggesting that when he holds us, suddenly it's all better. No, it's still hard, it's still bad, it's still tragic, it still hurts, it's still suffering. It is what it is. Yet God, when he holds us, he's able to have a different perspective because his perspective doesn't look just here and now at this moment, but he can look at what is to come. And so he can look ahead and know that there is a day when there will be no more pain, when there will be no more sadness, when there will be no more tears, no more death, that there will be a day, in the Jesus Storybook Bible it says, there will be a day when all the sad things will come untrue, that the bad dreams won't be there anymore, that the scary nights won't be there anymore. And so God, when he holds us, he can hold us looking ahead, knowing that right now really is bad, but one day it won't be that way. And so he can hold us, and he can say, everything is going to be okay. Because while for you in that moment, it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay, and while he says that, it may not make it better, but he can say that because he knows that one day it really will be okay. And so that waiting is difficult. But we wait not alone. And we wait with a father who holds us while we wait. And so we wait with anticipation. We wait with excitement for what God wants to give to us. And we wait with hope when it's hard to have hope. And we wait trusting that when God says everything is going to be okay, even though it doesn't feel that way, we know that God can see things differently. And it's because of that that Paul points this church to the birth of a baby. Because when that baby comes, they're reminded that God keeps his promise, that God does what he says he will do. And in that moment, we're painted a picture that tells the whole story of the Christian message that Christianity begins at the bottom. It's in, at the bottom, in that messy, smelly, noisy manger. When that silent night wasn't really that silent of a night. And this baby is born at the bottom. And certainly there were these mountaintop moments in Jesus' life. But it's at the bottom that Christianity begins. It's in the death. It's in the suffering. And it's in those moments that God meets you. Where God promises himself to you and where he holds you and reminds you that everything really will be okay. And we may not have the answers, but we have the one who's arrived as a baby. And he always keeps his promises. Let me pray for us, and then we will prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible gifts and your incredible promise. And Jesus, it's often hard for us to wait It's hard for us to have hope, to trust, to believe that in the midst of the waiting that you are still there, that you are still present. And God, I just pray that in those moments where we feel like you're absent, that we would know that you're not, that you continue to hear us, you continue to give to us. We pray that you would remind us of your rescue, that when we fail to love, when we fail to do what is right, when we fail to trust that you rescue us and that your redemption doesn't depend On us. And we pray that in those moments of waiting that we are reminded that you hold us, that you will never let us go, and that you hold us not because we've done something to earn your love, but you love us because we're your child. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would hear us in these moments as we confess before you our own sin, our own failures in thought and word and deed. We confess before you our own struggle to believe, our own struggle to have hope in a world filled with sin and brokenness. And we pray that you would hear us now as we personally and quietly confess to you those things. The promise of Jesus is that his rescue of you doesn't depend on you. He gives himself to you without conditions, without strings attached. in a world that crushes you, with sin that crushes you. Jesus comes to give you what no one else can give. And what Jesus speaks to you in this very moment is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.